Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today we are joined by Dave Rosenblatt, Assistant Commissioner of Engineering and Construction here at DEP. Dave's program is responsible for administering shore protection, dam restoration, and flood control projects throughout the state of New Jersey. This program has been responsible for managing more than $1.5 billion in federal post-Superstorm Sandy projects, and the work they have done has literally affected every corner of the state of New Jersey in a very positive way. So, Dave, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Good morning. Your area is a relatively recent creation among the AC areas. Tell us a little bit about engineering and construction here at DEP. Engineering and construction has been around for quite a while. Yes, we have a new assistant commissionership in charge of engineering and construction, but we have been designing and constructing flood control projects and storm damage reduction projects for 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the added importance that this area took on after Sandy is what caused Commissioner Martin to elevate it to its own AC area. That, of course, and, and the leadership that you've been providing in this area. Thank you. And that's true. It was post-Sandy when all this work had to be done that the commissioner really recognized the elevated status that we were obtaining because of the money that came into the states. Sure. And not just status, elevated importance of the work that's going on. Because yes. as we've heard over the last few days here on the, we're in the fifth anniversary of Superstorm Sandy, the amount of work that has gone on to recover and to build resilience has been extraordinary. And the work that you and your colleagues in your area have done has, has just been remarkable. There's really no comparison between post-Sandy and pre-Sandy as far as the workload, that's for sure. The amount of effort, the amount of funding that the federal government has brought into this state is beyond anything we've seen before, of course. And even though we work with federal partners such as HUD and certainly the Army Corps of Engineers, there's an incredible burden placed on our workload. So tell us a little bit about what engineering and construction has had to tackle in the wake of Sandy as we think about the fifth anniversary having just recently occurred. Some of the short-term responses that you all had to deal with, as well as some of the long-term responses that are, are still ongoing. So the morning after Sandy, I was at the state police headquarters in West Trenton. And I walked into a room that looked like NASA. <laughs> Just one full wall of, uh, large wall of TV screens, and they were all blank. And within half an hour, an hour, we started seeing different screens come up that showed both TV news stations and the state police's own surveillance equipment showing the damage that occurred along the Jersey coast. The first thing that I did was write a work order, within the first hour that I got there, a work order to repair the breach of 
mantle looking mm. with the ocean at the bay. It was one of the first things that I saw come up on the wall, uh, an overhead surveillance of that breach. And repairing that right away was very important because it destroyed Route 35 in that area and broke the evacuation route that's so necessary there. I also uh, wrote, wrote a work order to repair a levee up in the Meadowlands that had broke, and that flood affected both Little Furry and Lenaki. So we're looking at snippets of what happened and responding immediately to the work that needed to be done. That was the short term. We also brought in sand to various coastal communities. We started bringing sand to various coastal communities that found themselves in a very precarious situation due to lost beaches and lost dunes. Yeah, the amount of erosion was extraordinary. It, it was incredible. And we didn't know when the next storm would be. Mm. We didn't know if it was going to be you know, next summer or next week. Right. So we really started to have to put them in a better place. Because yeah, as soon as you leave hurricane season, nor'easter season starts, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. So then the long term was looking at existing plans, things that we had always wanted to do with the Army Corps in particular to protect property and lives. One of those was federalizing the entire coast from Sandy Hook to Cape May. By federalizing, I mean having the Corps come in and do major beach replenishment and do constructing projects. We had under 50% of the Atlantic coast federalized prior to Sandy. Mm. Now we had the opportunity to federalize the whole coast. And federalize is a good thing. It means that the federal government through the Corps is going to come in and help us build and rebuild beaches over, say, the next 50 years. Mm. And that's important to us. Yeah, and that's important. You know, a lot of people, I think, not a lot of people, but some people have misinterpreted the idea of federalizing the beaches, they think that, you know, you're going to have U.S. Marshals out there collecting yeah. beach tags and stuff. But really, this is a, a partnership between the state and the federal government that very much benefits the state of New Jersey. It's a great partnership because under normal circumstances, when the Corps helped us on a beach project, they would pick up 65% of the construction costs. They would do the design at a similar cost share, and we were responsible for 35%. So that's a great deal for us. It's mm -hmm. a great deal for the state. We would not have been able to do the whole Atlantic coast without this federal Sandy appropriation. And that helps also address what New Jersey has kind of labored under for decades, and that's the fact that we always send far more money and tax dollars down to Washington than we ever get back. So this helps address that imbalance a little bit. It does. And if you look at the amount of money the Corps spends in New Jersey, you would see that we're in the top three on a, on a regular basis. Even before Sandy, we did very well. Our congressional delegation did very well for us. Yeah, that's great. So tell us a little bit about the beach replenishment and the, and the engineer beaches projects that are going on along the entire Atlantic coast. We're getting close to the end of that process for the first go-round, and, and it's, it's been kind of a long haul, but you know, five years sounds like a long time. But on the other hand, there's 127 miles of Atlantic coastline in the state of Jersey. Right. So prior to Sandy, as I said, only under 50% of the beaches had been done. And those beaches were in municipalities that wanted beach projects. We faced a lot of resistance from towns that did not want beach projects for one reason or another, usually because they were concerned with the state involvement with their beach. They were afraid of loss of view. They didn't want dunes. They'd have to walk over. Sandy changed that opinion, that perspective in a lot of ways for, for most towns. Therefore, we were able to go into areas like Deal, 
Allen Hurst, the Elberon section of Long Branch. That had never been done before. Mm. Now these areas and the citizens wanted beach protection. So we were able to complete Monmouth County, where we hadn't been able to do before. And we were able to go into areas, even Long, Be Long Beach Island, that they didn't want beach projects. Sandy changed opinions about the usefulness of these projects, despite whatever disadvantages people may have perceived. Mm -hmm. We're currently finishing up Absecon Island, which includes Atlantic City, Ventnor, Margate, and Longport. We had previously done Atlantic City and Ventnor. Margate and Longport did not want the project. I think to this day, some citizens don't believe we should have a project there because they said they did fine during Sandy. But Sandy wasn't Sandy in Margate and Longport. It just wasn't. It was not the same storm as it was in Northern Ocean County and Raritan Bay and, and the Meadowlands. It was not as severe. So they're looking at what happened in their area at that particular storm and thinking they're safe and they're not because the next storm could hit them with the same veracity as it did in Northern Ocean County. And that's the thing that's completely unpredictable. It's predictable that there will be more storms. We know that for sure. But where they're going to hit and how they're going to hit is totally unpredictable. So having the entire coastline protected is really, really important. Correct. And everybody knows the difficulties we've faced in obtaining real estate to do the projects in, in the area of Northern Ocean County from Manasquan to Island Beach State Park. And we fought that fight for a really good reason because... We know just that, that it's going to be unpredictable as to where and how the storms will hit. And we just felt very strongly at the EP that these beaches should be done. So that's why we entered that whole eminent domain process for those properties that did not want to participate in the project. So for the first time, we're doing that area, and that'll be a good thing. And the flip side of that is we needed something like, what, 5,000 easements or something to, to that effect. And the vast majority of people... Uh, gave them pretty easily because they understood the benefit that would come from them allowing the Army Corps to go onto their beach and, and make it so it would be more protective of their property and, and of life and infrastructure as well. Yeah, the, the number of easements that we needed originally post-Sandy was daunting. Mm. And yes, we had a lot of voluntary easements get provided to us by the property owners, but we did have to do a lot of convincing to get some more voluntary easements and then of course we had to take legal action against properties that did not want to do it at all. Yeah, But in the end we've gotten what we need and all of those towns are going to be far better protected, both the property and the lives of their citizens as well as the infrastructure in those towns. Yeah, they will. Yeah, it, You know, it's so, uh, I guess it's human nature, you know, the more time passes after an event like that you tend to kind of forget the worst parts of it, but this is one where I don't think people will be forgetting about it for a very long time. No, I, I, I think you're, I know I won't. I'll, I'll, remember, <laughs> I'll remember that morning very well, and I didn't lose any property. The people that lost homes and, and their, their life belongings, yes, they will always remember it. And they remind us. Uh, they remind us because if we fall behind us in, in the, the beach replenishment schedules, they, they let us know, yeah. you know, and want to know what's taking so long. They want... Pre-Sandy, they may not have wanted it. Now they can't. They, why isn't it here already? Yeah, yeah. Explain to us a little bit about how these projects work on the beaches. What exactly is going on? And when we talk about an engineered beach, what does that mean? So the Corps does not design a beach project to a certain level storm. We hear a lot about 100-year storms, 50-year storms. The Corps looks at 
the value of the property behind the beach and then is able to determine through various modeling and calculations how much money, how much sand, therefore, they can place on the beach. So it's basically a cost-benefit analysis. It's definitely a cost-benefit yeah. analysis, yes. Once we have a positive cost-benefit analysis that allows the court to proceed, then we go into, of course, design and engineering. We go into permitting. When we take sand from offshore between a mile and three miles offshore, we don't want to destroy the habitat offshore. Mm -hmm. So we do get permits, work closely with the resource agencies like our Fish and Wildlife Office, and we get there okay. Mm -hmm. And certainly through the permitting process, there's an opportunity for the public to comment, express their concerns. So it's, it's as detailed and as publicly available as any other construction project that we would do, like a flood wall or a levee onshore. It's been an incredibly transparent process. It, it is. I mean, it, yeah, you can't hide this, yeah. and, and we don't, nor do we want to. Yeah. Uh, but when you've got a big dredge sitting offshore and huge right. pipes with sand coming onto the beach, it would be kind of hard to hide. Yes. <laughs> so neither the Corps nor DEP has the equipment to pump sand from offshore onto the beaches, so we contract with dredging companies. We have a handful of major companies. Some are based in Louisiana, some, uh, but they do work all over the world. Mm. And post-Sandy, they were struggling to keep up with our needs. Uh, there's only so many dredges. There's dredging needs all over the world. And we were fortunate enough to get them here on a, on a very good time frame. And it's quite an operation to watch. I've, I've been down and seen a couple of them you know, with the pipes coming up and the sand, you know, with water coming and going in these baskets and it's moved around and, you know, you go back a week later and where there was hardly any beach, all of a sudden there's this beautiful wide beach. It's really quite a technological marvel, really, I think. It is. Some people will think, well, you're just placing sand on sand. But when you look at the, the apparatus that's needed, the planning, the design, the public participation, it, when, you, when you finally see sand coming up, from offshore, through a pipe, onto the beach, you're just looking at the end result of yeah. all that effort. Yeah. And uh, But it is fun to watch. People who think it's going to be very disruptive, well, it's a little disruptive when it occurs during the summer. But then you see people lining up on the areas that have boardwalks. They line up on the boardwalks 24-7 as the project's going on and watch this because it's really mesmerizing. Yeah. I mean, anybody who ever built a sandcastle as a kid, you know, yeah. is going to have an interest in watching this because it's like the world's biggest sandcastle project. Exactly. Yeah. I've also heard, you know, some people after we've had some storms on beaches that have been replenished and engineered, people will say, oh, yeah, this this didn't work because the beach got washed into the ocean. But they, they kind of miss the fact that, yeah, but the house didn't. You know? right. So that's how these are designed, right? Not to prevent the loss of a beach, but to prevent the loss of property and infrastructure in life. Correct. When we first built structures on the beach, like homes and roads and infrastructure, particularly on barrier islands, we really took away part of the functionality of those beaches. Barrier islands, over long history, without development, move. They mm -hmm. move a little east to west. They move a little north to south. That's what they do. That's their nature. That's their nature. But we... Uh, we build on them, and then we confine them. We put bulkheads on the bay side. We put seawalls on the ocean side. We put them on the inlets. We made boxes around our islands, and we left a little sand in the front. And it's that little bit of sand that we're trying to preserve, not just for our use, not just for tourism, 
but that's a big part of this, but it's really for protection of that property and infrastructure and at the end of the day, lives. Yeah, so it's a fascinating process that you and all your colleagues go through working with the Army Corps and with all the local governments and the homeowners and everything else. It's been a five-year effort, but we're coming to a close now. We're coming to a close on this round. On this round, yes, that's important to note. Beaches do erode. We expect that. Depending on the type of winter that we'll have, what winter storms, what nor'easters we have, will determine you know, what the beaches look like next summer, mm-hmm. and we'll be right back at it. This, this is uh, an investment. It's an investment just as like you take care of a car. Yep. You have to change the oil. you got to put sand on the beach. That's mm-hmm. the way it works. Mm-hmm. And the beach is such an integral part of who, the, who we are as a state. I mean, you can't imagine New Jersey without the Jersey Shore. So, you know, while there have been some people who said, oh, we should just abandon the shore and, you know, let nature take its course, that, that's completely unrealistic. It is. And everybody that I know in New Jersey has a connection to the shore. Yeah. It could be current. It could be their grandparents. Their, you know, their parents had a place at the shore. Everybody has a connection. And we're not about to let it go. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's such an important part of not just our economy, but our culture, our way of life, and our history, really. It, it just, it's unimaginable to have New Jersey without the, you know, what, what would we be then, Iowa? You know, that's not, not what we're looking at. Right. No offense to our friends in Iowa. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the other stuff you do in terms of dam protection and things like that. Because it's not just the coast that you're worried about. No, it's not just the coast. We are equally concerned about inland flooding. We did not know when Sandy approached, whether it would be a rainstorm or not. And it turned out that the inland areas were not as impacted because there wasn't a lot of rain, so the rivers didn't flood. The Division of Dam Safety and Flood Control is concerned about the inland flooding. We want to make sure that the dams that exist, and as I said, there's 1,600 dams that are throughout the state, that they are well maintained by their owners. We oversee their repair, their reconstruction, any modifications. We oversee the emergency action plans that the dam owners have to do in order to mitigate any concerns about loss of life should Mm -hmm. there be a dam emergency. The flood control group within that division is responsible for working with FEMA to develop floodplain mapping throughout the state. That's so important. That tells us where we can develop and redevelop as far as flood protection goes. And we also work with the Army Corps on those inland flood control projects. The biggest one in the state was the Greenbrook project mm. that protected the city of Boundbrook mm-hmm. from the flooding of the Raritan River and the Greenbrook and, and another stream. So we have very many concerns about the properties, the municipalities that have rivers running through them. It doesn't have to be rivers, it can be streams, Mm. because small streams become rivers during flood events. That's the way it is. As as close to the ocean as we've built and close to the base, we've built closer to the rivers. Mm -hmm. It's it's really amazing. I'm from the shore, and I'm used to the ocean. But when I started here 39 years ago, I got to see parts of the state that I had not seen, and I was always surprised that there would, be a, there would be a series of homes 20 feet from a riverbank, mm. knowing, knowing yep. that they're not much higher than the bank of the river. Mm. 
those are the things. And their street is called River Road. River Road, so. River View. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And and 99% of the time, that's what they have. They have a River View. The rest of the time, they're out of the house because, you know, the river's in their mm-hmm. home. So we work with the Corps to do major projects. We often provide grants and loans to municipalities to do smaller projects. But... You know, it's just it's just an ongoing concern. Flooding along in rivers, flooding along riverbanks is is a problem that's not going to go away mm-hmm. at all. Well, we are a peninsula. You know, we're surrounded on three sides by water: the Delaware River, the Delaware Bay, and the Atlantic Ocean, mm-hmm. and then the Hudson River. I guess uh, part of it as well. So it's not surprising that water's a challenge here in New Jersey. It's a great asset to have it, but it's also when you know the weather turns, it's a challenge. Yeah, and post-Sandy, post we were fortunate in another way in that, that HUD, the Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development, decided to hold a competition mm. to bring in teams of architects, engineers, colleges to develop concepts for flood control in these types of areas mm. that would be unique, outside the box, people say, that would provide protection to areas that don't normally get our attention. All right? But Sandy, <laughs> Sandy did bring attention to almost everywhere in the nine coastal counties. We were fortunate in New Jersey to have two winning concepts. These are the Rebuild by Design projects? The Rebuild by Design projects, the one on the Hudson River and one on the Hackensack River. Hudson River's project was to protect parts of Weehawken, Jersey City, and most of Hoboken. The Meadowlands project on the Hackensack was to protect towns like Little Furry, Munaki, Carlstadt, Teterboro. So we are actively engaged ourselves. This is a state project using HUD money to design these projects now. And large amounts of money too. These are big projects. Big projects. These in are areas that are pretty well built. <laughs> yeah, these are the biggest projects that I've managed. Two hundred thirty million dollars for the uh, Hoboken project and one hundred fifty million dollars for the uh, Meadowlands project. Yeah, big projects. Yes. Yeah, in areas where, as I said, you know, particularly along the Hudson River waterfront, a lot of stuff built there already. So coming up with innovative solutions without uh, having to tear things down or separate people from the river has been a challenge that uh, you all have managed to come up with some pretty good solutions to. Yeah, when we first went to Hoboken to, to survey the area and, and get a sense of what people would accept and what they wanted as far as protection, we heard over and over again they did not want their view of the New York City skyline touched. They did not want the sunlight on their park interfered with. These are aesthetics, but these are very important because mm-hmm. they make the town. Absolutely. And we were fortunate enough to be able to come up with plans that we're currently turning into designs that I think allay the fears of the residents and their concerns. We, we, we can do that without interfering with what they didn't want interfered with, mm. which is great. In the Meadowlands, we had a little bit less money to work with. It's a big area. Yes, it it's is. It's a big area. $150 million of construction and design is not a lot of money for an area that big. So we're working with the towns to do the best we can do to alleviate routine flooding mm-hmm. in those areas. And so it's becoming more and more a stormwater 
project that I think the uh, residents there will like. Sure, and, and particularly in the Meadowlands, you add in the ecological sensitivity of that oh. area as well, and that has to be dealt with too. Well, there's, there's that. The, uh, the Riverkeeper made his presence known very early of his cons- with his concerns, and, and, and we agree. And, and not only the Meadowlands sensi- ecological sensitivities, but also the past contamination that's yeah. there uh, makes constructing in a lot of areas very difficult mm-hmm. because we don't want to have to go in and either disturb or clean up the past concerns in this project. There's just not enough money to do all that. It's been a bit of a high wire act without a net. <laughs> yes, yes, it has, it has. And having had the chance to kind of watch how you and your team have managed your way through it, it's been, uh, certainly from my seat, a very, very impressive effort. And again, talking about the transparency and all the stakeholder involvement, it's something that you know takes time, but it's so necessary to get the support from the local community for what you're doing. And it's been, I think, really managed with a great sensitivity, not only to the problems, but to the concerns of the, the folks who live in those areas. Yeah, we, had, we brought a lot of experience into this. Uh, the beach projects that we've been doing for a long time required a lot of public input, a lot of public explanation. I think we were very, I think we're in tune to people's concerns, and so that team of mine joined the new team of mine in those in the Meadowlands and the Hoboken area, and we brought in some good new people too, who've had experience in public participation, and and uh, they've taught us a thing. So yes, it, public the public aspect of this is extremely important. Yeah, it really is important. You want to put a lie to that old saying, you know, that people say one of the biggest lies around is I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. In this case, it's really, really true. And I think the way your team has handled all of these projects really demonstrates that it is true. And certainly when future storms come, and they will, and future flooding events occur, and they will, the level of protection that's going to be afforded in the future is, as opposed to what we've had in the past is really going to show that mm-hmm. that all the effort that went into this has really paid huge dividends in protection of life, property, and infrastructure. It's an impressive accomplishment. Dave, you've told us you've been here at DP 39 years. Tell us a little bit about your background here at the department. I originally came here in 78 and worked in Division of Water Resources that doesn't quite exist anymore. But I was with the water monitoring unit, Mm. and I did inland water quality studies and then became more or less a specialist in coastal water quality studies. Mm. I did that for a number of years and then went to enforcement. Well, I went to the assistant commissioner's office for enforcement, and uh, I focused on, again, water quality and the medical waste wash-ups in the late 80s got me involved in all those enforcement cases and investigations. I began doing coastal surveillance flights back then, and we still do them today, mm-hmm. looking for pollution sources, looking at the sewage treatment plant discharges we have along the coast. And then the Division of Watershed Management was formed, and I went there to become the Bureau Chief in charge of South Jersey's wastewater and water supply planning. And had five years there and, and then uh, came here for the longest job of my career and, and probably the one I like the best. Mm. It, it's nice to see your efforts in the 
physical format of a construction project. Yes. You know? yeah, something very tangible. <laughs> something very tangible rather than a report. Yep. Reports can be used or they cannot be used. But once you build something, it's going to be used. And, and that's, that's satisfying. I'm not an engineer myself. I have great engineers that work for me and, and great specialists who assist the engineers. And, but I just love being able to uh, build things. I like working with the Army Corps of Engineers. Yeah. They, they, they bring a lot of weight to the state. Yeah. And, and, uh, and a lot of expertise. A lot of expertise. And we do together great things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been impressive to watch, um, not just uh, from my seat the past almost three years that I've been here, kind of from the inside, but... From anybody out there who's been watching what's going on up and down the coast, uh, what's going on with dam protection and flood protection in other parts of the state, it's really quite something to see mm-hmm. how DEP and how the Office of Engineering and Construction has made such a huge impact building resiliency in this state, particularly in the wake of Hurricane Sandy. So I think you and your team have a lot to be proud of. I know you've still got a lot of work ahead of you, and it's, it's one of those jobs where the work never really ends, but it's something that there's no doubt that the work that has gone on, particularly over the last five years, is really something to be applauded and acknowledged. Thank you. Thank you. Dave, in your position as Assistant Commissioner of Engineering and Construction, what do you consider to be a good day on the job? Any day with no rain, no wind, and no forecast of tropical depression. There you go. <laughs> and we won't tell the folks who monitor the drought conditions about the no rain part. Correct. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us today. Dave, this has been really, really interesting. These projects have been fascinating and really, really helpful and are going to have a lasting positive impact on the life of this state, which, as I mentioned earlier, we are a peninsula. We're surrounded on three sides by water, and we've got plenty of water in the interior as well. So there's hardly any part of the state that you and your team have not touched. And uh, I really just want to acknowledge all the work that all of you have done to make it possible for us who live in this great state to continue to enjoy all the benefits that the coast and our rivers and and streams and everything else bring to our daily lives and also to go to bed each night with a little better sense of security that when the next storm comes, we're going to be better protected than we ever have been before. So Dave, thanks so much for taking time out to talk with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.